the student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2010 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Brother Skelly is the pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. First Thessalonians chapter 4, this morning in your Bibles, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Appreciate you being such good listeners all week long. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want you to look at verse 1. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And Paul is saying, listen, I already told you what to do, but do more of it. Do it, do it more. Do it, to, do it more often. Do it with more passion. Verse 2, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. And I feel like that's probably one of the verses in the Bible that the best describes a modern-day youth, modern youth group. We already know what to do that's right. We, we've not talked this week about really anything new. It wasn't that I got up and, and said, you know, live, live pure. And you thought, man, no one has ever told me that before. Live pure. That is a novel thought. Or, you know, give your life to Christ or sell out or give up sin. Wow, I had never really thought about that's a good idea. Give up sin. You know, we, we already know what to do. And the Apostle Paul wrote this great church. He said, listen, I've already told you what to do. Now do more of it. I've already told you how to live. Now live more passionately. Look at verse 3. He said, for this is the will of God. We're always looking for God's will, right? Well, this is it. Here's God's will. You want God's will for your life? Listen carefully. Here's God's will for your life. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So Paul is going to explain sanctification. He said, okay, here's God's will, your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Look at the beginning of verse 4. That, here's the second part of the definition, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that, here's the third part, each part is introduced by the word that, 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 now verse 6, that, no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. I want you again to see verse 3. God's will, your sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. Verse 4, that you should know how to possess your vessel. Verse 6, that you shouldn't go beyond and defraud your brother. I want to bring a short Bible study this morning with this title, What's Up With That? What's Up With That? Father, bless this time together. Lord, thank you for these teens. Thank you, Lord, for their uh, ahead of time. Lord, thank you for their willingness to listen, to consider these thoughts. Lord, I pray that this simple lesson would help some teenager in this room to avert great tragedy in his life, great ruin 
in her life. Lord, please do a work. We ask it in Jesus' name. More than any other generation that has, that has ever lived, your generation is bombarded with sexual images more than any other generation. More than any other generation, uh, your generation is inundated with uh, sexual temptation more than any other generation. Now, let me just say this. uh, People are people. And uh, Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago, and they struggled with temptation 2,000 years ago. But uh, sin and, and images of sin have never been more readily available uh, than they are in this generation. Uh, you can, at one click of a mouse, see things that are unbelievably explicit. With one click of the remote, you can go to a channel that will uh, demonstrate to you things that are unbelievably sinful. And all, all of this used to be, 20, 30 years ago, if somebody wanted to go and, and get pornography... He'd have to sneak to some dark side of town and put sunglasses on and go to some seedy little store and buy some kind of VHS video and, and, and play that video. But now, uh, in your own home, listen, not even in your home, on your telephone, on your telephone with Internet access, you can see things, experience things that are just uh, unbelievably defiling. In Europe today, and I'll be in Europe, uh, Lord willing, I leave tomorrow and I'll be in Germany, uh, the flight's overnight, so I'll be in Germany on Saturday. I'll be in Romania on Sunday and Monday. I'll be back in Germany on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week. And typically, the United States is about 10 to 15 years behind Europe in what we allow. In Europe today, if you were to go and turn on a television set, uh, you can click on a channel, not a pay-per-view channel, not a, uh, not a premium channel, but you can click on a channel, uh, just a regular channel that everybody gets in his household and see complete nudity on the television set. In Europe today, if you travel down the road and stop at a gas station, in the gas station, there will be magazines that have full nudity on the magazines. They're not covered. Full nudity. You actually have to not even go to that section of the store because it's fully open for a three-year-old to walk by, for a 10-year-old to walk by. It's fully available. If you were to go to Europe today and go through some of the cities, the billboards, the big, huge billboards, as big as this wall, some of them, will have full nudity on the billboard right out in public. And so it is, it is unbelievable what is being allowed in, 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 in European society. But we're not far behind. There, there are images that are being allowed on our televisions now. There are images that are being flaunted in front of you, uh, pornographic images, and you're inundated with this every single day. And sometimes you look at how, uh, how big of an industry it, this is, a multi-billion dollar industry, and you wonder, how can any teenager in this society live pure? How can any teenage guy live pure up here? How can any teenager live pure in, in, a, in a physical sense? I mean, how can he do that? Well, it certainly is difficult. But remember that the, the words of Scripture are just as true today as they have always been. And the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And there is a 
power that's available to you that is greater than all the collective power of the media, all the collective power of Hollywood, all the collective power of the internet tycoon and uh, tycoons. And it's, a, it's a greater power that uh, trumps all that power. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk to you this morning just very bluntly because we live in a blunt world. I want to talk to you very bluntly about the will of God for your life, you living in, in, in holy sanctification, you living in moral purity. And I, uh, my goal, just to let you know, my goal in the next 30 minutes is that each one of us in this hour would make a commitment or a recommitment to moral purity. Okay, so that's my goal. My goal is that everyone in this room would make a commitment. What I mean by that is, you know, Pastor Skelly, I'm not going to view pornographic images. Pastor Skelly, I am not, I'm going to keep my hands off of the opposite sex until the very day that I get married. Okay, I'm just telling you that's my goal. My goal is that we make that commitment or that we make that recommitment this hour. That's my goal. Just so you know, uh, this isn't bait and switch. This is me trying to trick you. I'm not trying to come in the back door. I'm letting you know exactly what house we're going in. I'm telling you the label on the front door. We're walking through the door right now. So let's figure out how can we live pure in an impure world? That's the question I want to answer. How can we live pure in an impure world? All right, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look back at verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. The Bible says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. All right, stop there for a moment. Let me explain the term. Now, I know that many of you know this, and you're going to have to listen carefully. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, okay, go there right now in your mind. Go there right now. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, at that very point, you were justified. Okay? Justification. Okay? To be justified, here's a good way to remember it. Justified means just if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. Justified, just if I'd never sinned. Justification is the act whereby God the Father, the judge of all the universe, declares you to be righteous in Jesus Christ. All your sins are washed away in a positional sense. You have never sinned. You never will sin. You have the righteousness of Christ robed on your life. It's a, it's, an, it's a declaration of God. It's, a, it's like the judge sitting at that, at that court table and taking his gavel and putting it down and saying, not guilty, not guilty. And that's what Jesus did for you when he died upon the cross. He paid for those sins. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God the Father can righteously say, not guilty about your life. That's justification. Uh, No one can take that from you. When you're justified, you're saved from the penalty of sin. Okay, what's the penalty of sin? Going to hell. You never have to go to hell. You never have to worry about going to hell. Maybe some of you have grown up in a church that taught you, you know, uh, once you're saved, uh, you can lose your salvation. Well, the Bible never teaches that. You can never lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And the Bible teaches that when you're justified, you're saved from sin's penalty. You're saved from hell. But justification also is the beginning point of a process in your life. And that process is a process called sanctification. Okay, the word sanctify means to set apart. It means that you used to belong here, but now you belong here. So I'm going to take you and put you where you belong. I'm going to set you apart. Okay, here's the definition. Sanctification is the process. 
whereby the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you, whereby the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and helps you to become more like the Son of God. Okay? Simply put, sanctification is you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Are you more like Jesus now than you were a day ago? Are you more like Jesus now than you were a year ago? If you are, then you are cooperating with God's Holy Spirit in your life in the process of sanctification. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that you're automatically going to live right. But it means you have the opportunity to live right. It doesn't mean you're automatically going to live in victory over sin, but it means you have the opportunity to live in victory over sin. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. He uses His Word in your life. Now, you can grieve Him. You can quench Him. You can resist Him. But you ought to listen to Him as God's Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to your life. You ought to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So you started here. One day you're going to end over there when you see Jesus Christ. Now, one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. Now, that might be today. And honestly, as I study world events, as I look at the newspaper, yeah, I, I believe that Jesus Christ, uh, His coming is imminent. He could come back at any moment. I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't shock me at all if Jesus Christ came back today. I mean, Jesus Christ is going to come back at any moment. That's why you that got saved this week, praise the Lord. You got saved just in the nick of time. But to when Jesus Christ comes back or when you die. Now, listen, there are some teenagers in this room that won't live beyond their teenage years. I'm just telling you, a crowd this size, the odds are there's at least somebody in this room that won't make it to age 20. I could tell you about teenagers I went to school with, like Ricky Kimball or Terry Gustafson or, or others that I knew in high school that never made it beyond their teenage years. They died. And there are teenagers, no doubt, in this room that die in a car wreck or, or die of, uh, of cancer or, or some other accident. and It just happens. And I'm just saying that you boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And uh, when that day comes that you die or when that day comes that Jesus Christ comes back, you will actually see Jesus Christ. And the Bible Bible says that when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. We call that glorification. Okay? Justification, I'm saved from sin's penalty. Sanctification, I am being saved from sin's power. But one day in glorification, I'll be saved from sin's presence. I'll be out of the presence of sin forever and forever and forever. And so that's God's will for your life. That, uh, that you would cooperate with God's Holy Spirit and God would help you to live godly in this present world. He'd help you to live morally and godly in this present world. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live a holy, righteous, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be zealous of good works. All right? Now, all of that is background material, and many of you know that. Now, notice verse 4 again, verse 3 again. So this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You say, okay, well, Pastor Skelly, I understand that. So I'm supposed to be more and more like Jesus Christ every day. How can I do that? What is the Holy Spirit saying? What words am I supposed to obey? How does sanctification look in a teenager's life? Well, God gives us three specific areas that will help you to be the sanctified young person that God wants you to be. The first one begins with the word that. That. That ye should abstain from fornication. Okay, the word abstain means to uh, stay away from. The word abstain means to say no to. 
That's what it means. To stay away from, to say no to. The Bible says if you're going to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit, if you're going to let God work in your life, you're going to have to learn how to say no. Now here's what I say. The best possible place to say no is the earliest possible place to say no. See, I believe that every teenager in this room knows how to say no to, to temptation. The problem is you say no sometimes at a place where you can't stop. You say no sometimes at a place where it's already too late. Okay? Um, how can I say no to sexual temptation? Well, I can get alone with my girlfriend or I can get alone with my boyfriend if I'm a young lady and get alone and I can be in a dark, secluded place, unaccountable, without mom and dad around, without, with no fear of interruption, no one else is home, and we can begin to kiss, and we can begin to put our hands on each other, and uh, he can begin to want to do things that are, are that, that, well, first of all, that right there is wrong, but he's, the, the nature of a guy, girls, is he's going to go as far as you let him go. That's the nature of a guy. He's going to go as far as you let him go. And uh, every girl in this room has a, a point where she says no. Every girl in this room. So there are very few girls in this room that would say, you know what, I'm going to let a guy have sex with me. Very few girls in this room would say, now there, there might be some, but very few. But there are girls in this room that say, I'll let a guy kiss me. There are girls in this room that say, I'll let a guy put his arms on me, around me. There are girls in this room that say, well, I'll let him touch me. I'll let him hold my hand. I'll let him be alone with me. I'll let him talk a little risque to me. I'll let him text me suggestive messages. I'll sit down and watch a, 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 a kind of a sensual movie with him. See, there are, there are all kinds of different no points. And what I'm saying is if you want to live morally pure in an impure world, you need to identify the earliest possible place that you can say no. And the earliest possible place that you can say no to a boy in high school, and you're not going to like this, but I'm just going to tell you it. You're not going to like it, but I'm going to tell you it. The best possible place for you to say no in high school is just say no to dating altogether. Now, I never get an amen on that. But I believe that as firmly as I'm standing here. High school dating has done more to ruin youth groups and ruin young people than anything I know. I am not a fan of it. I don't believe the Bible advocates it. And by the way, let me just reason with you for a moment. Dating, the way that we do dating, originated approximately 100 years ago. A little bit more, but approximately 100 years ago. 100 years ago, 9 out of every 10 marriages made it. Now, not even five out of every ten marriages make it. So we started this whole new thing uh, called dating, and has it helped marriage or has it hurt it? It has hurt it immeasurably. Here's what happens when we date early on. Okay, here's this sixth grade boy. Me, I really like her. She's pretty. Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe, you know. And then they say all kinds of, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I-L-U-V-U, exclamation point, <laughs> B-T-W, I love you too, and all this stuff. What happens? Three weeks later, he loves somebody else. 
And four weeks later, he loves somebody else. And here's what dating does. It gives us the opportunity to get exclusive, to give our heart away, to break up, and to get over it. To get exclusive, to give our heart away, to break up, and to get over it. To get exclusive, to give our heart away, to break up, to get over it. To get exclusive, to give our heart away, to break up, to get over it. To get married, to give our heart away, to break up, and to get over it. And dating is not preparation for marriage, not the way we do it. Dating is preparation for divorce. Dating is not the way we do it. Dating is not preparation for marriage. It's preparation for You say, Pastor Kelly, are you against dating? No, I'm not at all. But to, you ought to wait to date until, first of all, you know who you are. You know where you're going. You know how God's working in your life. You're a level of spiritual maturity. You are at least uh, somewhat of an adult. I'm talking about, you know, going off to college at least. And I even encouraged my son. I said, even your first year of college, uh, if you want to date somebody, that's up to you. But I would recommend you, you, you probably even wait uh, your first year at Bible college. I'm just saying, folks, uh, we would solve so many of the dilemmas that we deal with in our youth groups if we would just say no at that earliest possible time. Now, I'm not saying if you date or if your youth pastor allows dating that he's wrong and you're wrong. I'm not saying that. I know this is a matter of preference. This is the preferential issue with me. I know that. So I'm not getting on any youth groups and youth pastors. I'm not trying to undermine your authority at all. If you allow dating, I know that you try to do it right. I'm not against that. So let me say this. If you are dating, and if, you, if your parents are okay with that, if your youth pastor is okay with that, and you are dating, okay, all right, let, let's deal with that. Okay, then say no in your dating relationship at the earliest possible time. Never, ever, ever allow yourself to be alone together. Ever. Never, ever, ever allow yourself to be alone together. Ever. Ever. Don't ever allow yourself to be in a situation. I I don't care. It just takes a few minutes to make compromises that you regret for a lifetime. Don't allow yourself to do it. By the way, Don't ever allow yourself to have any exclusive communication. Now, I'm not saying that someone has to be over your, uh, 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 in your conversation every time you talk. But this, if you are unwilling to allow someone else to see your text messages, you're texting something wrong. If you're unwilling to allow someone else to see your text messages, you're texting something inappropriate. Okay? The rule in our family... Uh, my, my two older boys, first of all, you get a cell phone when you work full-time. That's the rule to our family. So you want to work full-time when you're eight, you can get a cell phone. Okay? Now, my oldest son and my second oldest son have cell phones. They both worked to over 60 hours last week. Hey, you can have a cell phone. Great. They pay for it. That's fine. But guess what? I inspect it. So at night, you know what happens to their cell phones? I'm talking about my 20-year-old. You know what happens to their cell phone? It goes on the, it goes on the table right there in the, in the uh, kitchen. I come home or I come 11 o'clock at night, I grab that cell phone. If I want to, and I don't do it often, I'll look through the text messages. Well, you say, well, Pastor Skelly, that's kind of stupid. They just erase the text message they don't want you to see. Well, guess what? I also have Verizon Wireless. I can get on and see how many text messages they've made. Now, I can't see the text, but if I see that there are texts that they've erased, then I know that they're covering something. Hey, if you're erasing it, you're covering something. If you have to go in and erase your history file, you're covering something. 
And the Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth forsaken it shall have mercy. And I'm just saying we need to learn to say no at the earliest possible time. Hey, say no to having a computer in your bedroom. Say no to having a television in your bedroom. Say no to having an exclusive relationship with the opposite sex. Say no to being in an alone place with them. I'm just saying learn how to say no at the earliest possible place you can. And I promise you, God will bless your life. I know that's not inspiring. I know that that's not something you can yell and cheer about. But that may have been the best advice you've received all week long. Learn to say no at the earliest possible place. Number two. What's up with that? Well, the Bible says that you should abstain from fornication. Stay away from every possible invitation to sexual sin. Fornication involves all sexual sin before marriage. It includes pornography. It includes uh, 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 sexual acts, not just the consummation of a physical relationship. It includes any kind of sexual sin at all, including the thought patterns we have, including the, the things that... I don't want to get too specific, but all sexual sin. All right, look at verse uh, 4. The Bible says that, here's the second point, that every one of you, so this is God's will for every one of you. You're a ninth grader, this is God's will for you. You're a guy, this is God's will for you. You're an adult, this is God's will for you. You're a public school kid, this is God's will for you. You're a new Christian, this is God's will for you. You're the pastor's son, this is God's will for you. Every one of you, that every one of you should, and here's the words, ready, know how. Sometimes we don't live for God because we don't know how. The Bible is telling us how to know how. That every one of you should know how to possess. To possess means to control. His vessel, your vessel is your body. You know that you, watch this now, that you are not your body. Did you know that? You are not your body. You are in your body. You're a living soul. You are not your body. Guess what? Your body dies. Guess what? You don't die. Your body is something you have. Your body is something you own. Your body is something you've been given. Your body is your tool. You are not your body. You are inside your body. And so you must control your body. Your body is what God gave you to serve Him. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hey, you are not your body. Say, well, this is me. This is, the, this is me. This is, no, this is you are in your body. So you're supposed to learn how to possess your vessel, to possess, to control your body. Notice what it says. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, how? How can we control ourselves? Well, the Bible gives us the answer in verse 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Say, what in the world does concupiscence mean? Okay, well, the word con, the prefix con, means with. Okay, con means with. Like confidence, confidence means with faith. Fide is faith with faith. A person that's confident has faith in something, believes in something. Therefore, you see that confidence. Concupiscence means with sexual desire. Okay? Coop, C-U-P-I. We get the word Cupid, that naked little guy that plays the harp or whatever, right? Cupid. So concupiscence 
means with strong sexual urges. The Bible says that we're supposed to possess our vessels, and here's what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to control our bodies. Uh, we're not supposed to allow the lust of concupiscence to control our body. Okay, let me say this, and, and I'm just telling you what you already know. Inside of every one of you, especially every one of you young men, is a strong sexual urge. It's true. Inside of every one of you, especially you young men, is a strong sexual urge. And the Bible says you're not supposed to possess your vessel with that strong sexual urge. You're not supposed to let that urge rule your life. Okay? The, the pornography industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that is aimed at one thing, the lust of concupiscence. Okay? It is a multi-billion dollar industry. When Marriott Hotels began to put the adult movies that people had to pay for in their hotel room, they discovered statistically that one out of every two business travelers will rent them. So who watches those movies? One out of every two business travelers rents those movies, statistically. PureLifeMinistries.com tells us that 50% of Christian men in Bible-believing churches struggle with pornography. Now, that's not my statistic. That's, a, that's a, an organization that makes it their business to study it and does the research and the independent study. So I'm saying that this strong urge, this strong raging lust that exists inside of us is something that every single one of us deals with. And you're not supposed to allow your body to be controlled by that lust. Say, Pastor Skelly, how? How is that possible? Well, notice the end of verse 5. The Bible says, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Okay? So when dogs bark, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because it's in their nature. Okay? We have a dog. uh, His name is Leo. He's half He's half Labrador, he's half husky, and he, he thinks he's human, okay? You have a, anybody have a, anyone have a dog? Okay, raise your hand up. Dogs are real animals. They're real pets, okay? Unless they're these little lap dogs, like chihuahuas or, or bichons or, or poodles. Those aren't dogs. Those are rats that are made to look like dogs. They ought to be dipped in chocolate and eaten, Okay? They're not real pets, okay? How many have cats? Cats are very selfish. Cats are, there's no reason for a cat's existence. But dogs, they, they, they have certain things. In Our dog is half husky. Now, huskies howl. My son, Caleb, will come home. We, we discovered this. It's the craziest thing. He'll come home, and, and, and our dog, Leo, will do all kinds of different tricks. We inherited the name. We didn't name him Leo, but that's his name. And uh, he'll do all kinds of different tricks. And then Caleb will go, oh, and the dog will go, oh, he'll go, oh, and the dog will go, oh, he'll do the exact same tone. They'll sing like duets together. You know, no one how to teach the dog how to do that. It's in his nature. You know, when we let the dog out, the dog goes out by the tree and goes, then he, like, does stuff on the tree to let other dogs know, I've been by this tree. 
And then other dogs come and smell what he did by the tree. That's gross. Can you imagine if human beings did that? You go, you go into the, the public restroom. Oh, I'm going to go here. That's gross. But yeah, it's in their nature. It's in their Now I'm going to see kids all day long. Yeah, that's why I don't preach this message to junior high kids because they actually do that. They go sniffing around the trees. and See, there are certain dogs bark. It's in their nature. Cats meow. It's in their nature. You know, sheep's bleat, it's in their nature. Pigs oink, it's in their nature. Gentiles lust, it's in their nature. People without God are like animals. They want to shack up, they want to get their pleasure, they want to hook up, they want to get what they can, they want to use and abuse, they want to see what they want to see, that's what they do. Because they know not God. See, the only difference between you and an animalistic Gentile is that you know God. And the fact that you know God and should fear God and have the living God living inside of you and have the power of God in your life, that is the answer to living in sexual purity. Hey, the only chance you have is not to have more character. It's that you've got God. And you've got to practice the presence of God in your life. And you've got to realize that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And every click that you click on, God's watching. And every time you try to take that liberty with the opposite sex, God is right there. And God holds you in account. And God wants to empower you to do differently. And you know God. And by the way... To the extent you know God, that's the extent to which you'll have power over sexual sin. That's why it is absolutely vital you're in the Word of God every day. That's why it's vital that you memorize and meditate upon Scripture. That's why it's vital that you spend time alone with God on your knees in prayer and beg for God's power and beg for God's help in your life. That's why it's absolutely essential that you're in church when the doors are open. That's why it's imperative that you're accountable to spiritual guides in your life because you need God. Without God, we'd all act like animals. That you should know how to possess your vessel. All right, number three, and lastly, say no at the earliest possible time. Get to know God so that you can get to know how to control your vessel. And then thirdly and lastly, look at verse six. That, hey, what's up with that? Let's let's see the third that. That no man, okay, again, that applies to everybody in this room. When the Bible talks about man, it's not about a general sense, that no person. So this applies not just to guys, this applies to girls. That nobody, that no man should go beyond and defraud. That means to take from somebody what rightfully belongs to him. That to defraud. Like if I went I'm and stole your wallet, or I, I went and stole, and I lied about your reputation and made people think something, I would defraud from you your reputation to take something from you that rightfully belongs to you, that no man would, would go beyond and defraud his brother. Again, not necessarily another male, but another Christian. A brother in the Bible refers to another Christian. That nobody would defraud another Christian. Okay, now watch this. There is no... There is no such thing as sexual temptation that doesn't harm other people. 
You say, well, Pastor Skelly, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just looking at things on the internet. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not touching anybody. I'm not, I'm not messing around with anybody. I'm just looking at things, okay? Well, guess what? Every person you look at is a person. Do you realize that many of those young ladies on the internet come from broken homes and messed up situations and they're told that they're nothing and they go into the pornography industry and they're exploited. Some lustful young man will click on an internet site and look at that young lady being abused and taken advantage of. Her body out there for everyone to see and she's not even old enough to make that decision. You realize that you're defrauding You realize that? You're defrauding your own soul, but you're defrauding another human being. You realize that when you take liberties with your girlfriend, that you're defrauding another Christian. You're robbing from her a a marriage relationship that is of clear conscience. That you're robbing, young lady, of him a marriage relationship of a clear conscience. You realize that when you touch that girlfriend, that you're defrauding her father, who is responsible for her purity who's supposed to stand at an altar one day and give her away. And you're defrauding her, her father. You realize that you're defrauding her future husband. Well, we're going to get married. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, then wait till you get married to do something then. You realize that when you touch your girlfriend, you're defrauding her future husband. You realize, young ladies, when you take liberties with that young man, you're defrauding his future wife. You're robbing. Every time you're robbing from somebody. Sexual sin Everybody loses. The dad loses. The future husband loses. The future wife loses. You lose. Your girlfriend loses. The person you're looking at on the television screen loses. Everybody loses when you engage in sexual sin. Look at verse 6 again. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. That would not just refer to sexual sin, which is the context here, but, but in any matter. Because why? Why? Why should we not do that? Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. In other words, we told you that if you engage in this behavior, you're inviting God to judge your life. You realize that? When you engage in this kind of sinful behavior, you are sending God an invitation to judge your life. Because God told you don't do it. God said that's a sin. God said, hey, stop. And you're, you're saying, God, I don't believe you. God, I don't care what you say. God, I know that you're looking. I know that you're watching. I'm going to do it anyway because humanly speaking, we're all alone. I know that you're watching in the back of my mind, but I don't care. God says, okay, I will avenge that one that you're taking advantage of. I'll come to her. I'll come to his advance. And by the way, guy, uh, girls, let me just say this. And I'll say this to you, and this is, this is the best advice you'll receive about relationships with guys in high school. The best advice you'll receive. Here it is. Ready? Any guy that would touch your body and say, hey, if you love me, you will, does not love you. I don't care what he says. He does not love you. I don't care how, how, how poochy his eyes look. I don't care how sincere his silky voice sounds. He doesn't love you. He does not love you. He, he's in love with himself. He is in love with himself. Any guy that would inappropriately touch you, I'm not talking about you shaking your hand, but any guy that would inappropriately touch you, he does not love you. He's in love with himself, and he loves himself more than your future. 
He loves himself more than he's willing to defraud you in the eyes of God. That is a selfish young man. And the Bible says God's the avenger of all such. And Paul said, I told you already about this. I warned you. But then he said this, and I testified. What does that mean? To testify means to give you bona fide examples. The Apostle Paul said, I've given you some examples of this. Last night, I gave you an example of a young lady in our youth group that uh, got involved on the internet and found this guy in Las Vegas and has his baby today. I could give you examples of uh, uh, married couples that come to my office that live in total dysfunction physically in their marriage because a a a guy was hooked on pornography for years. I can, show you, I can show you families that are broken up because of, of, of these verses right here, the violation of them. The Apostle Paul said, hey, we've testified. We've given you examples of people that sat in camps just like this, whose lives are wrecked and, and ruined. Quickly and lastly, look at verse 7. The Bible says, God hath not called us unto uncleanness. See, every now and then, somebody will justify inappropriate behavior. Well, we love each other. So this is an expression of our, and we're going to get married. But God didn't call you to uncleanness. God didn't call you to that filthy, unclean behavior. That's not God. Hey, listen, if you're going to do it, then at least admit it. I'm living in sin. I'm snubbing my nose at God. I'm telling God I don't care. Hey, at least admit it. But don't try to couch it in spiritual terms. Don't try to say, hey, listen, you know, God's okay with this because we're going to. That's a big lie. God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but to holiness. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth. Hey, listen, if, if you're going to listen to this message and, uh, and, and, go, and, and, uh, and, not, and not obey it. He therefore that despiseth, he despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Say, Pastor Skelly, I don't, I don't believe, I, I'm not going to do what you say. Well, that's no skin off my nose. I can't follow you around. I can't put covenant eyes on your computer. I can't chaperone you on your date. I can't come in and sit with you as you watch television. I can't be there to police your life. And so if you despise this teaching, you're not despising me. You're not despising your parents who set those rules. You're not despising your youth pastor who's lovingly trying to provide some parameters for your life. You're not despising man. You are despising God. To despise means I hate you. Okay? If you want to live in sexual sin through your eyes, through your activity, if you want to live in sexual sin, then let's just put the jelly right down on the bottom shelf. Let's make this so we can all understand it. You're basically saying, if I persist... I'm not saying that you're tempted and you fall. I understand that everyone struggles. I understand that. But if you choose to continue to live in sexual sin, basically what you're saying is, God, I hate you. Just think think about that. Next time you want to click on that site, you're basically, by making that click, you're saying, God, I hate you. Next time, young lady, you let him get those grimy, greasy, little, ugly little lips with that funny-looking half-mustache on your lips. Just remember, what he's telling you, even though he's saying, I love you, he's saying, God, I hate you. He is despising God. God help all of us to live pure in an impure world. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. 
For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.